Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Antler Up Podcast, brought to you by Tether, the world's best saddle hunting equipment. We have a fun show for you today. On this week's episode, I was joined by PA Native and the 2022 Bow Hunting League PA Big Buck winner, Taylor Fleischer. In this specific episode, Taylor shares some of the little things that have helped him be successful the last few years, but specifically last year on the buck he was after for the last three years. Taylor shares the little things that can be overlooked by hunters and how to improve on what you're already doing. To kick this episode off, we dive into Taylor's hunting roots from when he was a young teenager. This was a great kickoff discussion because at a young age, Taylor got the bow hunting bug and from there has worked endlessly to continue his pursuit to perfection. This aspect, I believe most hunters want to accomplish and achieve, but know the process is a long, fun, and frustrating journey. We discuss how some hunting experiences shaped who he is as a hunter now and the lessons learned from his past season from his Pope and Young buck that he plans to build upon that as well. Then we get into the nitty gritty of all the little things that have helped Taylor the last few seasons from his organization of trail camera photos, reading, understanding deer movement and deer behavior. We wrap up our discussion talking about really how he manages his property in central PA and then the challenges he faces with hunting that and also hunting where he lives because very similar to me where I live in central PA and hunt a lot back in northeast PA. So we get a lot into that kind of discussion. Really fun episode. Taylor, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Thanks again, everybody, for all of the support. If you like what you hear, please go leave a five-star review on iTunes, also on Spotify. Check us out over on Sportsman's Empire as well. Thanks again, everybody. See you next week. Antler up. Tethered is a team of saddle hunting fanatics with a passionate addiction to whitetail hunting. Designing and engineering products to be a more efficient and confident hunter, Tether produces the most mobile, stealthy, and safest elevated hunting gear on the planet. Built by saddle hunters for the saddle hunter. Head over to tethernation.com to see for yourself what exactly I'm talking about. And before we dive into this week's episode, I have some really exciting news for you. If you've been eyeing any Exodus products for a while now, then you're in for a real treat. In celebration of their eighth year anniversary of trailblazing the trail camera marketplace, Exodus is now offering an exclusive campaign for you guys. Starting on May 19th, you'll save 25% off the entire Exodus website. With a deal this great, Exodus will be offering these savings for the first 300 Exodus renders as well as the 300 rivals. So the good news though is if you miss out on these savings, you can lock in 25% off the entire site until June 12th while supplies last. All you have to do is use code AU at checkout to unlock your savings. 
In the case you need to be a little bit more familiar with what Exodus really has to offer, I'm about to share some of their key attributes. Flagship model of their render is powered by their Verizon 4G LTE technology, boosts lightning fast transmission times, making it the fastest in the industry. Plus, it's incredibly user-friendly and dependable, and it ensures it's going to work flawlessly when it matters most. You can also save $125 with purchasing the Exodus Render Security Bundle with code AU. And if you're looking for that budget-friendly Personally, it's my favorite camera. It's amazing. It's super awesome. Uh, And it takes amazing pictures. And the quality and functionality of it is just as simple as render. Then check out the Rival. With with our exclusive code, AU, you can grab this sucker for under $140. Backed by Exodus's renowned five-year no BS warranty. This new camera is simple, reliable, and dollar for dollar is the best camera on the market. So take advantage of these limited savings and remember you'll always be backed by their five-year warranty. They stand behind their products. On top of that, they offer that five-year theft and damage warranty, a peace of mind. And let's remember their best-in-class customer service to solve any issues or hiccups that arise. So use code AU at checkout over at exodusoutdoorgear.com. What's going on, everybody? We're back. We're live with a new episode of the Antler Up podcast, and I'm joined by PA Native. We got Taylor Fleischer on the other side of, of the computer screen. Taylor, man, pleasure to have you on, dude. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate no, it. Absolutely. We, you know, we just, you know, shot the shit for about 10 minutes prior to uh, actually going live here right now, and I'm excited for this conversation. I It's been really cool to talk to certain guests from all over, whether it's Pennsylvania, Ohio, and, you know, Iowa, all various states, but I love being able to talk to Pennsylvanians that kind of, grew up hunting the same kind of heritage that I grew up and even, even more so to, to a more extent, you know, someone that has a deep, deep roots of, of the hunting. Like my dad grew up chasing small game and, and whitetail and Turkey and all that stuff, but we didn't really trap, you know, I'm not a, like, I haven't gone have down that rabbit hole. I didn't really get into duck hunting. So just, I like talking to people that really, uh, this is their, their passion, their love and things that, you know, they're, they're either dad, uncle, granddad, whoever passed it down to them. So it's a pleasure to have you on, man. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Like I said, it, I agree that Pennsylvania is it's, it's own breed of cat when it comes to the outdoors. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's got its own challenges for sure. And also you might be one of the first, if I, I'm, I'm hoping I would like to say not, but I think that I know of that we could come on here and I could actually say we are, and you'll be able to know what I'm talking about. That's right. Penn State, for sure. <laughs> for sure, man. I know, dude. That's awesome. Now, what year did you graduate? I graduated from Penn State in 2012. 2012. Okay. So that was just three years removed from me. So not, not too far along. So when I was graduating, you were, you were coming in as that freshman, which we went to the, we were at the uh, Rose Bowl that year, I think, weren't we? Man, I, I can't remember. I can't remember. I think so. I think that's the year we went to the Rose Bowl. Daryl Clark and the and the guys and uh, Derek Williams they went out to the the Rose Bowl that year and they got spanked yeah, yeah. <laughs> by USC. Yes, yeah, um, right. Oh man, but dude, uh, so we chit chatted through uh, Instagram and everything like that, and and talking prior to here, you know, we were just saying about Penn State when we were talking about that. You said you hunted up. Uh, this way so you're a little bit familiar of some of the spots that I've I guess uh, have tiptoed around I guess you could say yeah yeah when I was at Penn State um, 
obviously hunted close to campus there. There's some game lands close to campus. Um, I hunted there and then um, actually over the mountain there at Whipple Dam. Mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time there in the woods. Um, Actually did a lot of beaver trapping in the swamps there at Whipple Dam. So I, I'm sure I don't know the woods like you do, but yeah, I've, if there's woods, if there's, if there's woods near me, I'm going to try to stomp around in it. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, Did you know that over by the football stadium, there's the archery only little spot there for, for whitetail. I did. Um, yeah. So I actually hunted that spot, uh, for, you know, maybe five or six hunts. Um, when I was at Penn state, I totaled my truck. I hit a deer coming over the mountain and they gave me a little, uh, Hyundai Elantra as a rental car. So I remember picking up that car and, and, you know, I'm used to a truck and I've got my bow at school and, and I'm swapping vehicles out in the parking lot. And I pull my bow out of my truck and put in the trunk of this car. And, and the guy's like, uh, yeah, that might be the first time a bow has been swapped vehicles in the parking lot. So I took that little car into that spot and yeah, I hunted, uh, you know, five or six times, saw some deer. I never shot anything there, but yeah, I, I hunted that little archery only spot. Yeah, what? It, let me know. Did you have the same thought process that I did? I was like, man, please hope that a buck escaped from that little deer pen over there. <laughs> yes. Yeah, for sure. I was I was tempted to get my wire cutters out and make that happen. You know? I know. Oh my gosh, I, a couple couple seasons ago, prior to it. Oh my gosh, I. I actually had some cameras set out there just because you never know, right? Like for me teaching that state college, it was an easy place for me to maneuver, drive to walk into just even to potentially fill a, a doe tag. And I remember walking by the, the pen and just seeing all the deer and a couple like herds of bucks were just like, just walking around and dude, just mat monsters, just, just total yeah. monsters. I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's just crazy to see that. And right here, you know what I mean? And, and in that yeah. fence and, but, um, yeah, one time I hunted that the first year that I, I did, I had a climber and I didn't know it was a Thursday, brought it after school, went up, climbed up the tree and I found like a scrape and some rubs. And I was just like, well, well, let's just get in here. This is all I have time for, right? Because my teaching day was done at 3.30, whatever, so I wanted to get up quick. And as I'm climbing up, I'm not, I didn't see anything the whole night, but then all of a sudden I could hear a whole bun- bunch of ruckus happening from the one field by the road that I basically came in on, like people talking. And next thing you know, there's P- all the ROTC kids coming yeah. through. And they're coming through, like, I guess they have a map, they have a – they have to go and hit checkpoints and everything. And I'm, they're walking right below me, you know, and I, here I am in a climber. So there's no sticks. There's no sign unless they look right up at me. Well, finally one stopped that he was looking for whatever spot he needed to get to it. I mean, Taylor, I'm telling you, he was, I could have spit on him. And then finally, <laughs> and finally I just went, like I whistled to him and he looked up and I, I scared the living piss out of him. And, and I was like, Hey, like, could you, you know, I got a little bit of time. Like, you know, if you're going to push something, like try to circle or something, he's like, what? Yeah. I'm like, just circle around. See if some a deer will kick over to me. He's like, Oh, okay. And I kid you not. As soon as I climbed down, it was, it was past dark. He, he must've kicked something. Cause two came flying through and with my headlamp, I could see it. And I'm walking on the road and one of the, the lead instructors, I guess was out there collecting meeting with the kids. I just said, 
He's like, hey, how you doing, buddy? Did you see anything? I said, I saw one of your buddies that I could have probably shot if I was an enemy, you know? He started laughing, and I said, no. I said, but he, he did a good job. I said, I told him to circle around to see if he could kick another deer to me, and he's, I said, he did, but it was too late. He goes, oh, nice. And I said, do you come on Thursdays? He's like, yep. And I was like, all right. You know, yep. for the next couple of years though, man, it never failed on good days that I could hunt after school. It was always on a Thursday to go there. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I know not to go there during that day. Right. Right. Yeah. You never know what's going to come through the woods around state college. That's no, for sure. No, dude, you never know. So yeah, man. So you grew up hunting and like you said, it seemed like, and, um, really, you know, here's a question to kind of lead you off with, you know, think back, I guess, Taylor, to some hunting experiences that led you to become the hunter you are today? Like the good, the bad, the ugly. Yeah. So I, I grew up hunting, um, rifle mainly when I started at, at 12, 11, 12. Mm-hmm. And, uh, a good friend of mine, his father was an archery hunter. I knew nothing about it. And, um, I was at his house one day, we were riding four wheelers around and, and I came back and his dad is in a tree in the front yard uh, with his bow and he's shooting a target. And, that seems so odd to me because my father, you know, he archery hunted as a kid, but he never, never really, um, continued it through adulthood. So he was, he was more like, you know, he's got a family now and a job and, you know, there's other things that take your time. So that watching, watching my buddy's dad shoot that bow out of the tree, it kind of like sparked, it, it, it brought archery into the front of my mind and, and, after shortly after that, I talked with him and he kind of got me into, he hooked me up with my first bow. It was an old Darton. And, uh, we, we shot together some, he took me to his cabin. Some, um, I shot my first buck at, at, up at the cabin at their family cabin. But so that buck, it's actually that buck right behind me is my very first buck. Okay. But hunting that buck taught me a lot about what it takes to be an archery hunter because that buck, um, you know, growing up a rifle hunter, you always think first light, that's when you get your best crack at a deer or right when it's getting dark, those are your two best shots or at lunchtime when guys are walking around. But that buck came in at 10 o'clock in the morning, which for me was foreign. You don't see deer at 10 o'clock in rifle season typically. And that deer came in, he came in when I was thinking that there was nothing going on. I rushed the shot. I made a bad shot on him, hit him way back. Um, but I hit him way back because I neglected to put my arm guard on and I hit my, my sleeve really hard and it went back in and it hit him right in front of the back leg and I found him the next morning. Not really any big deal because we found him, but, um, Chris, the guy that got me into into hunting, he pretty much sat me down as a as a fourteen year old. I was fourteen when I shot that deer, and pretty much told me how important every aspect of archery hunting is. Um, making sure you don't forget to put that arm guard on, making sure that you're alert at all times because during the rut, I mean, you know as well as I do, you've got as good a chance at at seven thirty as you do one thirty mm-hmm. uh, most days, but. Uh, yeah, that shooting that buck kind of transformed my thought as to what it takes to be successful archery hunting. Uh, rifle hunting, I don't feel, and not to put down rifle hunting, but I don't feel that there's as much that you have to make sure is in line in order for you to be successful. Um, you got a pocket full of shells and a gun, and 
you get a shell in there, as long as your safety's off, you know, you're good to go. But there's so many things that come into factor with, with a compound bow, especially that you just have to make sure everything's right. Mm-hmm. The, and an angle of deer matters, whereas it doesn't with a rifle as much. I mean, everything matters. So that, that hunt there kind of changed my thought on, on ethical hunting. So, and you could, I, I would like for you to possibly even elaborate too on that specific hunt and on that specific deer, the whole bow hunting thing, because I have a similar feeling of when I shot my first doe with the bow, like my first whitetail with a bow was a doe. And that for me changed a lot for me as well. Right. Like I hit the, hit that back artery on the back leg as well. And was surprisingly the deer did not go very far, but I just, the, the rush, the adrenaline, the process, like you were just saying the little things. And that's when my dad sat me down as well and was like, okay, Jer, listen, you're going to have your moments and your bad moments. And you probably are going to have more bad than good when it comes to archery hunting. But, you know, talk, I guess about how that also made you love go down this rabbit hole of this strictly just pure passion that you have for bow hunting. Yeah. So that, that whole challenge, that whole keeping everything in order. Um, the other thing that I have a great passion for in the outdoors is trapping. I love to trap coyotes and it's very similar. It's a, it's a parallel that you can't screw anything up in order to be successful. I mean, you've got to make sure everything is just right. And if it's not right, you got to figure out why it's not right and make sure it's never not right again. So not saying that every mistake you learn from and you never do it again, because I've made the same mistake (laughs) many times, um, unfortunately, but so, yeah, um, the passion that I have for archery season comes strictly from trying to make sure that everything is, is not just right, but perfect every time. It's not that I will ever achieve perfection with with anything as far as archery goes, as far as anchoring, as far as not rushing, as far as, um, you know, making sure the, the animal's got a perfect angle on it or, or whatever. But the passion that I have for archery season is driven by wanting to achieve perfection. It will never happen, but I want to get as close to perfection as I can because if you can achieve perfection – I mean, it's not going to be much fun anymore because there's nothing to learn anymore. Right. So I know I won't, but, but the passion for me is, is trying to make everything as perfect as I can Yep. because I, there's nothing better than a perfect shot. Yep. Amen to that dude. And I could honestly sit here and say, I, and I'm hoping you're going to say it. You, I bet you love the process as well. Oh, almost more than the kill. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I am too. And, and our, I have plenty of friends, Mike, Jim, that are the same exact way that they love shooting their bows and doing, like you said, just that little thing to, to make it better. You know how that's one aspect that I think like I'm a, I love saddle hunting. Like that's the one that's the aspect of the tool of the trade that I, I use. And, you know, early on when you, I was learning saddle hunting and how it could be a great tool in your toolbox it literally, once you get used to it and you feel really comfortable doing, it, I'm like, well, really, that's the only tool in the toolbox, right? <laughs> right. Like, but, but the one thing that I always tell people 
and it's the one aspect that I actually have been writing a little bit about that hopefully will be coming out soon is to do that right now. Like if, if you have like right, like when I go shoot my bow at my in-laws house, they have a tree kind of at 40 yards where I normally just stand and shoot and take, take my shots or whatever. That is a perfect tree that I'll just put the platform on and I'll bring my saddle with me and I'll just hang from it. And I'll, I'll put a, a target a little bit closer just so I'm not bombing 40 yards at, for every single shot. And I'll toss a couple little targets at different angles. So then that way I could practice shooting that. And like, I love that little mini going through the process. Like you said, Taylor, to be, you know, try to strive for that perfection. We know we won't get there, but man, we will work hard to get that. And if you're preparing for summer shooting right now, getting ready for the hunting season, and you are in need of a new arrow, then check out the Exodus MMT arrow tailored built to your specific setup. Go to their builder online, get precision built arrows and experience the most consistent and dependable arrow available. All you have to do is go to exodusoutdoorgear.com, click on the arrows, put in all your specs, and you are going to be able to get the arrow built for your knees. If you have any questions, just give the guys a call. They'll be more than happy to help you out. Again, this savings going to start May 19th until June 12th, where you'll get $70 off a dozen of MMT arrows just by using code AU. So check it out over at exodusoutdoorgear.com while supplies last. Right. And, and that's the, that's where the practice comes in that the practice and the process, I shoot my bow every day. And most, most mornings I grab my cup of coffee, load my truck up to go to work and I'll walk out back and I'll shoot two or three arrows. I rarely, I rarely leave that target on a bad arrow. Mm -hmm. If I shoot three and that third arrow is not right, I'm shooting three more. And some days it causes me to be a little later to the job site than I want to be, but I can't, I can't, my mind works in loops and I can't allow an open loop to be there when I go to, to work. If it doesn't feel good when I leave, my day's screwed up. Yeah. So some days if I, if I feel like I may not be on, I wait to shoot till after work because <laughs> I know I'm going to be putting 50 or 60 arrows downrange, not, not three or six. Yeah. We're, so. we're, we're in that same boat together now. So like, so when we look at this process, right. And, and this was actually something that I had written down for us to talk about, but it, it comes up now. So let's, let's discuss it. When we look at the whole process and so tomorrow, so by the time this will be a couple weeks after it, but we have an episode coming out with Aaron Hepler, a good friend of mine. And I want this to kind of be a continuing phase until really the season goes around, just because I love to grow and, and maybe hopefully the listeners get something out of it is how to become like a more efficient hunter. Right. So like we're talking about right. the process of, of shooting our bows and that's, those are all great examples when it comes specifically to archery hunting, but what are some other little details that you think, you know, maybe that you used to overlook even, but have improved upon over the last couple of years? It's a good question. Um, I, I try to improve upon everything. Um, the one thing, and, and this isn't necessarily, um, doesn't necessarily apply to everyone because I know not everybody uses trail cameras, but the one thing that I have tried to be better at, and I guess it all comes into efficiency, is to not let trail camera data go wasted. So, when I pull cards or when I get a ping on my phone, I don't want to just, you know, scan through do, 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 do. You know, I don't, I don't want to do that. Um, so the last 
the last three years, um, when I check camera cards, I grab a notepad and I write down, I know how each camera is oriented. So I write down what direction they're coming from. I have a tally sheet. I'll say, you know, two food or two bedding and, and AM or PM. And I'll, and my, my break off is, so I have AM, midday and PM. So up to nine o'clock, I call AM nine to three. I call midday and then three on is PM. So I take tallies as to when they're going to bed or when they're going to food or not necessarily to bed, but that direction or, or the direction of food. And that data, even on dough, dough, button, buck, I don't care. I just want to know patterns. Mm -hmm. So in the past, I was one of those guys that hit the arrow. I see a doe picture, arrow, 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 just keep on going till I find a buck. And sometimes you never found a buck, but all those doe pictures that I neglected to study, so to speak, um, was wasted data, like very valuable data. Mm -hmm. Um, and the other thing I do in the fall when I'm analyzing that data is I'll pull up, um, weather underground has historical weather data. Yep. So I'll pull that up on a screen beside my computer and I'll look at that day and I'll think, okay, we got a lot of movement that day. You know, why did that happen? Or why did all the movement happen in the morning that day? So you look at, you know, was the, I don't put a lot of stock into any one variable, but big swings in temperature, obviously, um, pressure i look at although i i feel like pressure is a lot more hit and miss than big yeah. temperature swings um and and moon phase i gotta say i don't i don't put a ton of stock in moon phase at all i mean i don't i don't even really mark that down i don't think it's super relevant i know some guys swear by a full moon or a new moon but i don't um so all that data kind of plays into it. So if I have one day that has a ton of tallies at an AM going to, you know, going to food, I want to know why, you know? So I think that's the biggest mistake too, that people make is when they scout, they scout for deer sign. They don't scout the habitat. They're looking for rubs. They're looking for scrapes. They're looking for beds, but they don't really ask well, why, why is he rubbing there or, or why is he bedded there? So, I think that is something also that I've tried to focus more on instead of just marking a pin on Spartan Forge that there's a rub here. Um, I like to stand by that rub and see if I can see the next rub because there's usually another one close and then you connect the dots and then you figure out why he's walking that path as opposed to the one on the next bench. So habitat's huge. So did you, have you done anything in, in recently that has helped you with the habitat aspect of things? Because that's an, uh, an attribute that I'm trying to get better at myself. Kind of like what you, like, I love one thing when I was coaching, especially when we got down in, we did it early season. We did it when we were winning. We did it, especially when we were losing is, you know, I always used to say, what is your why? Right. And that is, I've learned to become, like you said, doing the tally marks like though that is great information of of the way you break it down going in, in a little bit more depth and being that i finally have i've been able to have a deer the last couple of years continuously show up the last two three years and he's obviously been bigger each year i'm going that little extra mile 
And I'm trying to ask that question, the why. Why why this route? Why does he can, you know, if I leave this camera here the last three years, he hits it X amount of times, but he's hitting it around that same time. And same thing around the other cameras. And so the one aspect, though, that I need to get better at is the whole habitat side of things. Because obviously hunting the big woods, the big mountains, you know, they're especially back at home, there's not a whole thing, a whole lot of food screaming at you. When you look at your feet, there's acorns everywhere, right? There's browse everywhere. There's not a particular food plot. Hey, there's a food plot. There might be, but it's across the highway. And I'm doubt that that buck's going to be doing that unless, you know, X, Y, and Z. So that is an area that I'm trying to learn and get better at as far as the habitat goes. Did you do anything is to help you with your learning curve? Is it something for school? Like what, how, or what is making you get a little bit better with that? So um, I went to school for horticulture and turf science. So those are my degrees. So I, I kind of have, I wouldn't say a leg up, but I'm more familiar with certain plants than, than um, someone who doesn't have that background. So I think it's really important. A, if you're, if you're trying to figure out what's going on as far as browse and food, know the difference between a white Oak and a red Oak, you know, know um, if they're, if they're feeding on spice bush, if they're feeding on, if you've got, you know, uh, some dogwood around, um, it's really important to identify um, what they're eating mm-hmm. and then be able to, if you stumble across a, a, a patch of, of something that they like there, you might say, hey, they're not hitting it now, but when that other patch is dried up, they may be working this way. So um, I think the biggest thing you could do is know exactly what the plants are that are in your woods and whether or not it's beneficial to a, to a deer no sense trying to hang a stand in a maple woods. There's no reason for a deer to be in there. Um, if you're in a, if you're in a patch of sugar maples, it's nothing more than a pass through. They're not going to be hanging around, you know, long. Um, it's just an opening. That doesn't mean they won't cruise it for does, but they're not going to be trying to get a bite to eat there. So I, I, I don't have a, a great answer as to yeah. anything I've done specifically for habitat, but, but knowing the trees and shrubs is huge. I think, I guess, too, a, another aspect of that is is getting more opportunities, boots on the ground, right? Get more opportunities where you could learn and, and see, oh, and that's the one aspect. I forget who I had on, and they were talking about just noticing the, the pick up more of the little things, like what deer are browsing on. Instead of, like you just said, finding the rubs and the scrapes and the beds, look at what are deer actually consuming, right? So then you right. could kind of mark that as, is it fresh? Is it not fresh? And kind of go from there. So I think just getting out there, getting more experience doing that is also a big, big factor. Yeah. And I think the one browse too, that I know that the deer eat um, at my place um, that, that most people overlook is, is the multiflora rose. They eat the crap out of it. Mm. And if there's a pocket of it, they'll work those edges and new, eat the, the new shoots off that multiflora rose all afternoon and no that's not there in the fall but it's it's a good thing to know that hey they may swing if if times get tough and the food is scarce they may swing back by that patch uh in the fall so yeah yeah, it's 
And the other thing is setting up cameras in areas where you think they're going to browse because you can confirm what they're browsing on. Go to a thick spot where it looks like the deer are hanging out and hang a camera and see if they're just hanging out or if they're actually there to browse. Mm-hmm. So here's how long have you been doing the whole historical data stuff with the trail cameras that with the tally marks, do you think? Three years. Okay. So did you, have you noticed anything regarding like a more mature buck versus younger buck patterns? Cause that, that's something that I would want to know. Yeah. So obviously buck are a lot like us in the sense they have their own, you know, they got their own personality. Um, but the one thing that I noticed, um, I don't, I guess it's not, it's not a hard and fast rule, but, but I do notice that, that um, when when buck get to a certain age, the buck that I killed this past year, mm-hmm. I had more daytime pictures of him than any other buck in the, in the fall, and I had maybe forty cameras out in the fall, and I probably had uh, I would say twenty to thirty daytime pictures of him between. October 20th and November 10th, the day I killed him. And so I think, and I've heard other people say this, and I didn't really come to this conclusion by myself, but it's been confirmed that as buck get older, it's almost like they, for lack of a better term, they get a little see now, like, like, like they get to a point where they're not as sharp as they used to be. Um, Because like a three and a half year old, they're, they're pretty dead set on breeding really hard. And I think I've, I've heard it before that a two and a half and a three year out, three and a half year old, is like peak breeding life for a buck. And as they get older, it's, it's less important to, obviously it's still important, but it's less important as it would be for a three and a half year old. So I think as they get older, they become more vulnerable in the sense that, um, you know, they're not quite as, as sharp as they once were. I mean, I don't know. I don't know the dog years ratio for deer. I don't know what a five-year-old <laughs> buck is in human years, but, but I, I do think that, I mean, a five and a five-year-old buck's tough to kill, but there's something about it that, that like, a, I don't know. They're just, they're more visible. It doesn't mean they're easier to kill, but they're more visible. Yeah. They, they slip up a little bit more so than they would have when they were younger. And I've heard that too. And I, what's funny is that you say that because I remember when I first heard that thinking about the buck that I mentioned earlier, is that like, maybe this is the year, (laughs) like, like maybe this is the year I'll finally pick that right spot and, and, uh, time it right. But no, man, that's, that's good. Well, let's, let's kind of transition a little bit. Um, you know, kind of, you, you did a recent podcast with the guys over at uh, PA Backcountry uh, Podcast. So I don't want to dive, you know, deep into that whole story because you, you already did that basically. But, you know, to kind of give a quick background on this, Taylor, you you entered the um, bow hunting league. You had the top buck for PA. You killed uh, that buck. He scored, I think, 152 and some change. Yeah, 152 and change, Pope and Young, yeah. All right, so now we're, we're kind of we're just talking about, like, the experience of your first archery buck and some things that we could improve upon being efficient. So anything unique uh, about that particular hunting experience that you had on this buck obviously resulted in, you know, in a record buck that, that you'd be able to apply for future hunts. So, like, all those opportunities, things you learned from that buck, like, what are you taking from that that's going to help you now even jump up that next rung, if you were to say. 
So with that buck, um, he was virtually invisible the first two years that I hunted him. And then this third year is the year I killed him. He became more visible. And I don't know if it's because um, I had a whole lot more um, effort put towards him specifically. If I mean, I was hanging cameras specifically for him, not just for general activity. I, I, I knew where he was sleeping, but I didn't know exactly how he was getting there. So well, the one thing I took away from this buck that I will apply this upcoming year on whatever buck uh, turns out to be my target buck, but I'm going to focus cameras more specifically on one deer. So instead of hanging a camera in a, a general opening or, or scouting for just general sign or general habitat, I want to find his sign. I want to find um, exactly what he is doing, not what all the bucks are doing. I, quite frankly, I could care less what a fork is doing at this point in his life. You know, if he turns into something, then I'll care. But <laughs> um, yeah, so I think the thing that has kind of made me um, – what I will apply to next year is singularly focusing on one deer. Yeah. Now that can get tiring and it can get exhausting. It can get very frustrating. Um, but that's what it takes. I mean, you, you rarely just dumb into them. You've got to have a ton of Intel that supports why you're hunting that stand that day. It allows you to confirm things too. Um, maybe that things that you've been out scouting, uh, it allows, it confirms one that two that he's obviously alive, but you, you maybe are able to game plan for like how you said, like all bucks have different personalities, you know what I mean? Right. And, and you could garner that. And, um, you know, for let's kind of, kind of talk about this, but, you know, to build upon that and bring what we already were discussing, when you think about those previous seasons, when you got him on camera, right. And you said those first two years, he was kind of non-existent. And this past year, he was that like, what, what were things that you were, what puzzle were you putting together um, from like the scouting, the deer behavior, the pressure, like what were the, some of the things that you're able to clump into this puzzle and this equation basically, and be able to finally solve it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I knew of two of his beds. Uh, I knew, I knew his prime. What I what I called his primary bed and his secondary bed. Um, whether whether it was in, in that order, I don't know. I knew there was another bed that he had that was not on me. Uh, that was on another property that I I would have never found because I would never go over there. But um, I I knew I knew where he was sleeping. I knew mainly what he was eating. Um, I mean, his, his, where he felt comfortable eating, um, obviously when the rut, you know, comes in, that's kind of all thrown out, you know, that's early season stuff. Um, but so I, I guess, I guess the biggest piece of the puzzle that I found that kind of helped to, um, seal the deal on him, so to speak, was I found a, a, a path that, that he ran that paralleled a, a pretty, a pretty, um, heavy doe path. Um, and it was, you know, they never skyline these bucks. They never, they never walk the top of a ridge or a spoil pile. They're always, you know, down 15 yards, down 20 yards, wherever it's comfortable. And I found a path that was very, very faint. And I hung a camera on that path thinking that it was a buck trail, not knowing it was his, mm -hmm. but it turns out that it was his. 
and he pretty much used it every other day. And finding that trail allowed me to make a connection between his one bed, kind of his his backside in, uh, exit of that bed, down through a lot of thick stuff and kind of poked up without going through his, his feeding area, kind of he was in nothing but thick stuff until he got up to another uh, section that he frequented. So it was almost like that was his um, his main path when there was no pressure was through a pretty open chute up into this um, into his feeding area. And when there was pressure, when guys were hammering on tree stands and running four wheelers, it seemed like he frequented that secondary path, so to speak, a whole lot more. And I had never seen a deer walk back there. Like mm-hmm. there was no there was no reason for, for deer to be back there. It's not like it was um, <laughs> any, any great path. But he went out of his way to walk that difficult path, so to speak. And me finding that out was very beneficial to, um, to killing him. Spartan Forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly intuitive and science-based products that saves the hunter time spent scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. You have deer prediction, journaling, and the best maps on any hunting app platform there is. Use code ANTLERUP to save 20% off your Spartan Forge membership at spartanforge.ai. So now you you pulled all those pieces right of that puzzle together. What um what entry exit route considerations like your wind, what all what were some of those key factors that you really had to either be careful, not be careful for? Did you have like a this is the only type of wind just because for me, for me, certain areas. And I know for a certain time, like, you know, I've heard Steve Shirk talk about it too. Like sometimes when you're up in the big woods in the mountains, it's, you just got to go because yeah. it's going to say one way when you get in there, it might be doing that for five minutes and then it switches and it's going to come back. Right. So did you have any sort of game plan when it, when it came to that? So, so yeah, the, uh, I'm I'm with Steve on that. Yeah, it's kind of a crapshoot sometimes, <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah. So the the thing with my property is it's it's there's sections of my property that are super steep, um, steep to the point you can't walk it, and those thermals come up over. I mean, if you're standing on the top, you can feel that wind just rushing up over there. Mm-hmm. Um, you watch a, a crow fly out over that top and you can see the wind just shove him straight up. And, and those thermals are extremely difficult. If you're anywhere between, you know, the top and the bottom, um, which I, thermals, I, I have not figured out thermals yet. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, I'll be checking wind in a stand and, and everything's perfect. And I'll look down at my watch and look back up and everything has switched in 30 seconds. And I don't know. <laughs> I wish I could figure out how to fix that because it would make hunting so much easier. But, uh, but no, as far as the wind goes, we have pretty steady, um, steady wind that comes one specific direction. It kind of swirls around the end of the hill. It's not, not really a straight line, but it's kind of a swirl that is pretty constant. It shifts every once in a while, but those thermals are really tough. Um, and it's, it's like I said, it's really steep and you really can't predict how that works. I know you got morning and evening and that, that makes a big difference, but, um, they're tough to hunt for me. So 
I do my best at kind of predicting how those thermals are going to be when I go into a stand. That being said, if I'm at camp for three days, I'm not going to not hunt one day because the thermals aren't quite right. Right. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a uh, go for it and hope for the best, but uh, I, I do take it into consideration, but it's not, um, it's not a determining factor as to whether or not I'm going to hunt a specific stand maybe, but not hunting in general. Yeah. What about like for your entry exit route situation? Did, did you have like a game plan regarding that? Yeah. So, so on the very, so I, once again, it's steep, so I don't want to skyline myself either. Right. Um, so I try, I walk out of the way, but, but I always walk down into a hollow that I know he doesn't go into or, or any deer really go into. So I go into this steep hollow and then walk it the whole way to the bottom where I like to hunt. And then I kind of poke up out. So I feel like my scent is protected in that hollow a good bit. It's staying in that hollow and a deer's not going to cross that hollow typically. So they're not going to pick me up down there or my boot tracks. Um, so my entry is kind of in a real steep ravine and then I pop up the side and I'm, you know, hundred yards from my stand that, that I, I like to hunt. Gotcha. Nice. So now we're talking about hunting, how you were saying about trying to find that one specific buck when it comes to your trail cam strategy and everything, you don't really care about the, those forkers. So that forker that you didn't care about three years ago, is there a new one that yeah. cut leading into to next year that, that you're going to be ch- hoping to, to get after? Uh, for for me this upcoming year yeah well uh i don't know about a forker but uh, there's a a couple there that i'm interested in to see what they're gonna be um the one somebody shot uh one hit him in the neck and it it grazed his neck so he's got a real big slice on his neck it happened first week in november um but he's a good buck and i wish somebody wouldn't have attempted that shot on him because it had to have been a straight on shot yeah um He's fine, I think. Uh, I have pictures of him recently, so I'd like to get that uh, that guy because he's got a, a very unique scar that's going to be a great indicator with the trail camera pictures here this spring. Yeah, hopefully he got even bigger now, so that'll be good. Nice. Um, so talking about your, man, your, your property, you know, what are some of the steps you've taken to manage it and, and like, what challenges, you know, that you see that you really have to overcome with that? Because it's a such a cool thing. I think all hunters will sit there and say, man, I would love to have something right that you can manage. And then when you get it, <laughs> there's, yeah. there's obviously challenges that are, that come with that. So, you know, what have you done so far that you would like to do? And, and I guess some of the challenges with that. Yeah. Um, as far as challenges, uh, the biggest thing is not being there all the time. Um, uh, a couple years ago, 2014, the emerald ash borer came through, and we lost a lot of our mature trees. Um, actually, we, we kind of did a survey and kind of saw that the ash borer was there, so we elected to log and take those trees off while there was still some value, and they didn't uh, pose a hazard down the road because my neighbor did not, and he's always clearing trees off his lane and uh, – and he's got some around his tree stands that he's very concerned about. So that aspect of timber management has been big. Uh, when we first bought the property, it was covered with Atlantis trees. Uh, we have killed probably, oh, I, I wouldn't even be able to put a number on it, but hundreds of, of Atlantis trees either hacked and squirt or cut down and treat the stump. Uh, they're awful for 
when we lost the ash, there was a lot of open canopy space and those things just shot up and we did not want them because there's virtually no value and they're extremely invasive. So the timber management aspect of it uh, has pretty much just been managing the Atlantis um, and, and kind of weathering the storm, so to speak, of losing 50% of our mature trees. Okay. Um, so that's been tough, but um as far as other practices, uh, we don't do any burning or anything. I don't feel like we um, – the terrain is too tough to try to control a burn there, so it's not flat ground. It's not a lot of dead stuff that needs to be burned off. Um, I wish I could, but I'm just – I'm not ballsy enough to, to light a fire <laughs> up there because I can't – I don't know that I could get to the far side quick enough if, if it would get out of control. Yeah. Um, but we have some food plots. Um, I have three less than a half acre um, each uh, plots uh, that I kind of rotate. There's one is always clover. One is typically oats or something for the turkeys, some type of sorghum, some type of grass. Um, and then the other one is, is just kind of a revolving door of perennial mixes. Um, I'm trying a few different things this year, but uh, I'll enjoy experimenting uh, with that. I don't have any hard belief that one specific crop is, is the best, nice. yeah. but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's good to have options. So, so it's nice to, nice to see that. Um, but yeah, other than that, other than the food plots and, and a little bit of timber management, um, we kind of let it do its thing. We plant a bunch of trees and shrubs every year to try to get them established. That's, that's a, a tough thing to do in the woods, but, we kind of figure, you know, if, if 50% of them make it, you know, that's more than we had before. Yeah. Good deer numbers. Uh, yeah, pretty good. Um, I, I would say it's, um, it's not as good as it once was. There's a lot more doe being killed on bordering properties than there used to be, but, um, we, we don't kill any doe on our property, uh, simply because the neighbors kill them a lot. <laughs> So we, we don't feel we need to, but, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of pressure there too, though, especially in rifle season, um, on neighboring properties, not from us. We rarely hunt it in, in rifle. We like to be done by rifle season, but, um, yeah, I would say, I would say the, the deer numbers are good, not great. Okay. So what, so when you look at your, your, your game planning for, for next year, what does that look like for you? Do you put all your eggs in that basket of, of your, the property you manage? Do you still go around where you live currently and, and, and scout and, and have backup plans basically, or even heck you might find a, a great buck that you're like, that's the buck I'm after. Yeah. Um, you know, what, what does that look like? Because I'm, I don't want to say I'm in that same boat, but I do. I'll travel back at home where I where I do have that private opportunity. But then I also have more of that public land here in Central PA that I do also uh, hunt a good bit. Well, I plan to hunt a good bit come next year. Yeah, so we have um, we have our 30 acres there in Mifflin County, and then uh, back here in Cumberland County, um, I have a couple small spots that I have the ability to hunt less than 10 acre parcels. It's very grown up around here. So it's pretty much archery only, which is cool with me. Mm -hmm. But, um, so every once in a while, a buck will come through Cumberland County that really piques my interest. Um, 
there was a nice one killed on an adjacent property a couple of years ago that was in the one forties. That was a, a great buck. And I was kind of, I was, you know, when you've got a great buck at camp, but there's one, you know, 15 minutes from home, it's a tough decision. You know, uh, it's, it's really, uh, <laughs> it, it's a good problem to have. I'll say that, but, but, uh, you know, it's, it's like sitting in the tree stand that, uh, that you, you didn't want to go into and you watch it go under the other one. So, um, yeah. So my plan every year is I scout Mifflin County very hard. Um, I feel like I know Mifflin County a whole lot better now than I did eight years ago, but, um, Cumberland County is, is a little bit different because nothing is staying on those parcels that I hunt. It's, it's passed through deer. I don't really know what I'm going to get a chance to kill, until you know october right. i mean it's it's um it's nothing i'm not watching one buck all year in cumberland county so so my scouting in cumberland is is limited because i i, would, I don't want to say it's, it's pointless but it's it's not as important as deer that i know are going to be there at, at the cabin so yeah i i scout both but definitely heavier in mifflin county i don't hunt a lot of public land um i i would love to i just i just don't mm-hmm. uh, it's i have nothing against it i think it's it's super admirable these guys that can mm-hmm. go six eight ten miles back in and and plug a plug a toad i think that's awesome but i i don't but uh i i will someday i guarantee that yeah yeah we sit here now, right? Like we're the summer hasn't even began yet, and we're as positive, we're as optimistic as, as we are as possible. You know, when the season doesn't go as we hope or as planned, you know, do you have a process or something that makes you get redialed in and like the whole pivoting, like that? Like again, that's where I struggled with last year is trying to pivot and kind of capitalize on that any experiences with that like something because again you are you're traveling like you're it's not just a hop skip and a jump for you it's you got to travel a little bit of distance do you just go and try to figure it out there or do you stay at home like you said because there are still some good deer that you just you never know and then when shit doesn't go good there you're like damn it i should have just gone to mifflin county i'm sure that's (laughs) you've, you've said that yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Many times, but no, I don't, I don't think I've ever had a season not go to plan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. But uh, no, um, as far as, as far as that pivot, um, I kind of make myself, my father and I loved archery hunt now, you know, like I said, he didn't archery hunt, uh, when I first started getting into it, but he's kind of got this new rekindled flame in archery nice. that he's, he and I, you know, that's, that's my guy when it comes to archery hunting. So we set aside two weeks every year that we're going to camp. No matter what's, no matter what's in Cumberland County, we're going there. We're, that's just our trip. So that varies every year when that, when that is. But as far as I draw up a plan in my mind every year, you know, the week before archery season starts as to how I'm going to, what weekends I'm going to try to get to camp, uh, what days through the week I'm going to try to hunt after work. You know, can I knock off on a Friday early and hunt Friday evening and then Saturday morning? Um, I like to do that. Obviously the weather screws everything up All there. The time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, so I always have a plan, but 
as far as pivoting from Cumberland County to Mifflin County, if I know I have a good buck in Cumberland County that I'm after, I kind of give my early season to it. Okay. Um, so I try to give October up to Halloween or, or whenever we're going to go um, up, up to the cabin. Uh, that's I usually give it, you know, the good college try in the early season on that buck. If it doesn't even feel remotely possible that that buck is going to give me a chance, um, I may, you know, bail on it earlier because there's something special about killing a buck at camp. You know, it's, it's just, I don't know. It's just a different feel. You know, it's going to hang on the wall at camp and, and you're there, you're eating chili at lunchtime and, you know, it's just a whole different feeling. Um, crawling out of, you know, dusty jeans and throwing on your camo and heading into a tree stand after work. It's not quite the same, same. feel, you yeah. know, it just, you don't get that satisfaction. But, um, that being said, I like to, I like to kill my does in Cumberland County because they've got a serious problem there. And so we try to do our meat hunting, so to speak there. But, uh, yeah, I would say as far as my pivot, I'm going to camp no matter what at the, you know, the best time I'm going in, you know, the first, first week in November, um, second week in November, that time frame. I'm going because there's always at least, you know, buck that we would be willing to take, take there. Right. Uh, may not be, you know, a Pope and young buck, but there's always good buck there. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't really have a, I don't think I've ever decided I'm staying home during the rut. Yeah. I don't think I've ever, there's too much competition down here that I could be hunting a buck that got killed October 2nd, you know? Right. Dude. I love everything you just said because that is me to the T like, cause my thought process going into next year was stay here where I live in central PA hunt this all the way up till the end of October. Like I get, I was going to give myself this. I was going to keep tabs. Like my dad will probably go out here and there, but even then he's still that old school mentality. Like I can't go in those good spots until it's good. Right. So, which is great for me. So, and same thing, like for, with my dad, he's been, I, he's got the archery bug again. Uh, we, we've, he's, we're always like, he is on, he has, he just took my, Younger sister who graduated from Penn State from nursing with a four O. I don't know where she, you know, a hell of a lot smarter <laughs> than I am. Um, but so they went on on a, um, a a whole resort stay for her. But anyway, long story short, he yeah. sent he's sending me some trail cam fro- photos from the resort. He's like, hey, look look at <laughs> we got this buck going on and everything. But again, my game plan for next year is going to be hunt here, Central PA all October basically until that end of end of October. I would like to maybe get to Ohio those last two kind of weekends as well. And then November I plan on hitting back at home hard because dude, even though I had those great pictures from the good bucks back, you know, like I said to you this past year, it really wasn't in encounters didn't really happen until that early November, end of October anyway. Like my Halloween weekend when Penn State played Ohio State, that was the day of like the most rut action I had all last year, actually. So yep. I'm kind of looking at it as, you know what? 
I know I've hunted that my whole life. I know when the time is great. You know what I mean? Right. Like I just know it. I just need to be patient. And that's where I wasn't patient. I was trying to be too aggressive last year of like, oh, I'm getting this camera. He's only five minutes, you know, he's still five minutes till dark. Like I just need to be in there and, and cut him off and come up with that game plan. And probably, dude, I was probably blowing him out. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so my thing is, is that so to hear someone else almost in the same uh, story as me, it, it's a kind of refreshing. Cause I'm like, all right, like this is someone <laughs> I, I could, we could bounce a lot of ideas off of. Cause man, I struggle. Like it's a two, two hour, two an hour and a half. And it's not just, again, I'm, I have to like, could I get out of work early on a Friday that I could hunt the evening and be able to, you know, hunt all day Saturday or figure it out basically. So um, that was really, to me, I took a lot out of that. So I, I, I appreciate that. And the whole pivoting thing, that's where I always would struggle because again, I'm like, man, I got nothing here. Do I travel two and a half hours? You know what I mean? So that's where now I plan to do, which I've done this past, you know, postseason is scout a lot more here, figure out. And if I run into hunters, like I run into hunters, I'm not, it's not right. to me. I'm like, okay. Cause it's not my my good spots back at home, basically. Right. Right. And it's, it's such a a good problem to have is to have multiple options. I mean, I know guys that have, you know, one tree stand location, but would kill to have, you know, half a dozen spots they could go. So, you know, you feel bad even saying, you know, "Ah, I don't want to stay here, go somewhere else. But um, yeah, it's, I don't, I don't have a great answer. And just because that, that you agree with me. That doesn't mean we're right. 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 Oh, I know. Plan, but, oh, I know. But, I know. Uh, so I could be way off too. I mean, it all, it all, the weather affects my plan every year mm-hmm. and, and the bucks that are on camera at, at both locations affect my plan every year. So I don't know. I'm, I'm a firm believer of the hunt is more than the deer. And I just, I can't get enough time in the woods, whether there's no chance of me killing a great buck or not. I mean, I, I'd sit in a cul-de-sac if I, if I wouldn't get in trouble, you know, I just, there's just something about being out there that I I can't do it enough. That's how I I said it on a podcast with Dan Johnson at during hunting season, actually when we just wrapped up and he asked me how the season went, I was like, could a, a season be successful, even though you didn't fill your buck tag? Right. And I said, because that's how I feel. Like I felt last year was a very successful year for me. So I'm hoping to build upon that. And I've had a great spring already. I killed the tur- two turkeys and one here in PA, one in Ohio. So I'm like, let's keep this shit rolling. <laughs> right. Like, um, so here's, here's a question for you. When, cause building upon the whole, we have our own private land, I guess that, that you, you'd say that we hunt and we scout it. Right. I mean, even though we've been there for many years, I think maybe a listener that doesn't have that opportunity to have a a 30 acre or whatever piece, because I guess I would say the private area that I hunt the mountain, it's, it's 2000 acres. However, like you're kind of obviously it being a club, you kind of have your own little section, I guess you could say. So it's a small chunk of that 2000. Now on our side of the mountain, there's not a whole lot of people nearby until rifle season. There's two or three older guys, but Again, they like they'll hunt till ten o'clock, go back, and that's it. So, what is your scouting philosophy? I guess like for 
end of the season up until the season because still go and I'll scout new areas or I'll kind of why was the deer moving there do you kind of go through that process as well basically going back to what we said earlier figuring out the why yeah yeah so and, and something we also said earlier is the buck have different personalities so mm-hmm. the buck that I was after last year which which I got he's now he's out of the equation so I don't think that one of these other buck is going to go lay in his old bed. I don't think it's going to work that way. They may like the same features. They find comfort in the same uh, thickets or the same travel corridors, but it may not change drastically every year. I mean, you know, kind of where deer like to bed every year, but, but if you're going to focus on one specific deer, like I feel like I, have kind of transitioned to that more so than I have in the past. You kind of need to know the, the small changes. So there may, a tree may have fallen across an old logging road and they're no longer going to try to walk through that tree. So you got to figure out, all right, so they're not going to walk through this path anymore. So where are they going to go now? How are they going to get around this tree or are they going to dip the whole way down to the next trail or are they just going to try to, you know, just go around the, the root ball of this tree? Mm-hmm. Something as small as a tree falling over or um, uh, the other thing that happens up at our camp sometimes is these, we get these microbursts because we're kind of on the end of end of a ridge. And not too long ago, a couple of years ago, we had a, I wouldn't say it was a tornado that touched down, but there was a bunch of trees, big mature trees, and they just got spun off. And they just made a, a brush pile that was 75 yards wide. And that changed everything. I mean, that that not only created, like right now, it's a huge open canopy, and it's getting really thick, and it's becoming a new bedding area that wasn't there five years ago. It was open woods, and it was, and now it's like, it's so thick, you, you don't want to even try to get through it. We've been trying to establish a few trees along the edges of it just to kind of not allow it to become nothing but rosebush, but um, so events like that change your scouting because it changes your bedding um, and also the pressure. So what your neighbor's doing um, in regards to how they're hunting their land, they might put a new stand up on closer to your line or, or closer to a bedding area that these deer used to like. Well, if they get, you know, too aggressive or, or get too close, that's going to change. So, mm. It's so scouting private land as much as you want to say it's it's like starting fresh every year it's it's not it's more of confirmation scouting like you need to go and make sure that the buck are still bedding where you think they're bedding that those are eating what you think they're eating and uh yeah you're you're kind of confirming old thoughts and if something new pops up like a tree or or like a a mature buck being taken out of that um something's going to change and your job in scouting is figuring out what's going to change and why is it going to change. So the whole why thing, why they're doing this now, sometimes you never figure that out, but that's the whole goal of scouting. I mean, it's yeah. Yeah. There's no, there's no book on it, but there's, there's kind of a method to the madness, so to speak. Yeah. Well, and like, We've heard on countless of episodes, either on our epi- on our podcast, on other podcasts, on articles and e- books. You know, you've I've, you've always heard that 
when one big buck dies, you know, another one's going to come in and take its place. So that's an exciting thing for you because it you, seems like you got the big, the big guy on campus and now the next one in line, hopefully, and now you have to try to figure that one out. Right. Right. I don't, I don't even know what buck I'm trying to figure out at this point. <laughs> right. you know, that's, and that's, what's fun. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we're, we're going to find out hopefully once they, I mean, they're pushing brows already, so yeah. we're going to find out sooner than, than you think, but. Yeah. So like for me, I, we normally on our side of the mountain don't get a lot of buck pictures right now. Uh, we, yeah. w- they'll pop in that little bit of late August, then they'll, they'll go, you know, we'll get a little bit here and there. And then August rolls around, they'll start sporadically younger ones. And then that end kind of like when that dreary date time frame, like, I don't know if you've ever heard that about that. It's like the 19th through the 23rd or whatever. Yeah. Um, we, I've noticed that that's been a, almost like a confirmation for me that I've noticed the last two, three years. And then they go missing again for a little bit until that next shift yeah. happens. And then boom, there they are. Um, so like for you, like you said, you don't know kind of what buck you really want to go after yet this for this upcoming season. Will you get a, them on camera now and figure out, oh, wow, he looks like a good one. He's probably going to be staying, staying put. Yeah. So they do, they, they stay on my property um, all season. Yeah. Um, I mean, won the rut. So last year, um, the buck I killed last year took off for about three weeks. He was he was gone, and it was probably uh, the second week of October to you know almost November. He was gone. Mm-hmm. He wasn't there. It was it was funny though. After I killed him, I was sent some trail cam pictures from another guy <laughs> down the valley, and I don't know this guy, but he you know he just reached out to me. I guess he found out that I killed this deer, and he sent me some pictures of this buck at his place in that time frame when he was gone and he's, you know, almost two miles away from where I'm at. So he took off. I'm sure he was, I don't know if somebody spooked him or if he was just following Adele, but he decided that he was going to go explore something else. So, but, but yeah, the, the buck I killed last year, I had pictures of him in velvet. I had pictures of him in June, July, August. I mean, he was, I knew he was there all year. Um, so I think I'm hoping that whatever buck I decide to, to go after this year should present himself here, you know, once they get done, you know, pushing antler, but, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I have pictures of that buck that I mentioned has a scar on his neck. I have pictures of him two weeks ago and he's, he's starting to push, still don't know what he's going to be, but I'm very curious if that injury is going to affect his antler growth. If, if it's going to make him funky. Yeah. Yeah. You have to let me know. Keep me posted on, on that one. Um, yeah. All right, man. Well, let's kind of, we'll transit transition to uh, the kind of the wrapping things up and what's uh, give me, give me a hot take. Give me something that, uh, that uh, you've, you've been noticing recently in, in the hunting world and media and all that stuff that you're just like, Oh my gosh, you, you shake your head a little bit about. Yeah. Oh man, there's, there's plenty to shake your head about, you know, I mean, I, uh, I'm, I'm puzzled by things people say and, and do all the time. Um, I was thinking about something today that while I was working, um, I was listening to some other guys talk and 
something that I was thinking about, I don't know if it's so much a hot take, just an opinion on, mm-hmm. on something that the game commission is doing that I, I would like to see it kind of changed a little bit. It's not really a, a not really bitching. I'm just giving my opinion, but the PA elk thing, you know, there's a lot of non-residents that draw tags for PA elk. And I would really like to see, um, I would really like to see maybe an allotment for non-residents, but man, when you look at that draw list, there is people from, it's not like it's 50, 50, but, but there's a lot of non-residents that get to shoot our elk, so to speak. The reason that we're on such a, a CWD quarantine is because of those elk. They're they're scared to death. That's going to get into that elk herd, mm-hmm. and for good reason. They're a herd animal. If CWD gets into the elk. That's that's bad news for them. Right. But um, but yeah, I I don't know. I I feel like you got to treat your home homegrown boys a little better in that regard as far as who gets to draw. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. I just I all my my buddy Mike that lives in New York, he's like I'm I'm putting in for him. Like, well, yeah, because if if <laughs> if you get it, I'm coming with you and I might knock you out and shoot it while <laughs> while you're on the ground and say you did. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I know, man. Dude, I I don't know how many points I have. I mean, I'm up there, but I just it's almost I mean, thank goodness it's 30 bucks, right? It's only what 30 ends up being 33 or 40 bucks, whatever now. Um, but yeah, ah, man, I just, one day I would love to get, get that tag. A, 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 A gentleman that my wife grew up with, I think they're around the same age, went to high school and everything. He didn't pull a tag, but a friend did. And he was with them and he said it was, it was pretty awesome. Pretty, pretty cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I know a couple of guys that have, have killed cows. Um, I don't know of anybody that's killed a bull, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, I've, I've hunted up there. I've hunted in Clinton County and Clearfield County. And it is, that is something else to, to just see an elk come through the woods. I mean, it's, it sounds like a Mack truck coming through the woods <laughs> compared to a deer, you know, it's, know. it's wild. Um, even just seeing yeah. the, even seeing the rubs, you're like, Oh, I know. Yeah. I know. And, yeah, you, it looks like a skid loader was trying to shove the tree over. You know, it's yep. it's wild. But yeah, I mean that's not much of a hot take. It's just something I was thinking about today, actually. That that uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I wish that would be changed a little bit. But overall, I, I have very minimal complaints about the game commission. Yeah, um, they're doing what they can to to try to draw people in, and you can't fault them for that. I mean, it's all money, but um, you, you can't fault them for trying. I mean, I'm. Hey, whatever they decide to pass, I'm cool with. I'm going to hunt no matter what right. on the days that I want. Exactly. Yeah. How are you? Uh, how How would Sunday hunting affect you? I don't know. Sunday hunting, not having Sunday hunting right now, is a forced rest day for me. Um, so I kind of like having Sundays off. I'm not against it by any any stretch of the imagination. I mean, if they want to open up Sundays, I'm cool with that. I it'd be great to be able to go to camp and, and hunt more than one day before you got to go back to work. But um yeah, I'm I'm pretty indifferent on it. As yeah. far as it affected me, I'd probably just be a little more tired come mid November because I'd probably hunt a few more, more days. <laughs> but um I I don't hey, whatever. Like I said, I'm pretty easy going on on that stuff. You know, the the opener of rifle being pushed around, that is heavily contested and I don't I don't give a flying fart about it, honestly. I mean, I, I, you know what? 
Yeah. I, I think if they think it's going to generate more hunters and money, I think they're, I think they're a little bit mistaken because I think the guys that want to hunt are going to hunt. Exactly. I don't think the day of the week changes who's hunting. Yeah. I think on the rifle hot takes things uh, for me, it would screw me. I think big time because what I've noticed in it, it's not just where I teach. I think it's just in the teaching world. Uh, I just, I, honestly, I think it's the working world when something goes away it's usually not coming back, right? It's usually right. a tougher time. So what ended up happening was once they removed the Monday opener, they removed for our district the Monday, Tuesday, they have school now. So yeah. so for me, I'm that Saturday, Sunday is huge for me, right? So I'm that yeah. because I'm I've pretty much burned through a lot of days for archery <laughs> earlier in yeah. that month. Whereas now my daughter's school, it's a different, we live in a different district than where we work. They still get Monday, Tuesday. I even think they get Wednesday, which is phenomenal. Like good, yeah. good for them. Like keep, keep that right. shit going. But, right. but yeah, so I'm all for keeping it what it is just because man, that would, that would really screw me big time, you know, because yeah. I really don't see that coming back. Now, if it were to come back and we would have off great, I would have nothing to complain about. Um, and then as far as like the Sunday hunting goes, I'm with you. I, I, I am, uh, that like I could, I wanted selfishly again, just because of being a teacher, right? Like Monday through Friday, right now there's a national shortage in subs. So it's, it's tough even taking off. So I would like it on that side of things. And heck, I wouldn't even care if you would put a time restriction on it. Like you could only hunt X amount of from this time to that time or, you know, if you want to give me the evening only and make, you know, for people that go to church and all that stuff, that's totally fine. And then you are able to hunt from noon until whatever. I just, just give me that extra, little bit of an opportunity because I love it. Like when I look at that and I see November, whatever it's going to be for archery, man, I, I love those opportunities because a working individual, right? Like, let's say for yourself, you take off other days and you're like, man, I, I have two or three more days that I could designate to hunting and I want to get it done in archery. You could do that either Thursday, Friday, Monday. You could do that Friday, Monday, Tuesday, depending on the weather. But then when you look at it, you got Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. There's five straight days that you could get after it compared to Friday, Saturday, Monday, you know what I mean? Like that right, one day. Right. And I don't know, man, how many times that Sunday is always that friggin' best day. <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh. So yeah, it is. Well, you know, and I have a nephew that has a birthday in November and I always tell my sister, you know, whenever you're having his birthday party, you make sure it's a Sunday. That's a non-hunting Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, so if, if Sundays open up to hunting, I'm just going to have to miss a day of hunting to go to a birthday party. That's the way it's going to be. So. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah. To, what's funny with that, the, the guy I told you about that went with uh, his buddy on here on an elk hunt that my wife knew and grew, uh, grew up with. She just ran into him and he's, I think, recently engaged and they're planning a wedding. And my wife asked him, you know, how is that going? He goes, good. She wants to get married in the fall, but I told her it better not happen until after it's just not October, November. <laughs> he said, yeah. I was like, all right, you know, I yeah. mean, he, he knows what he's doing. I like it, but, um, all right, Taylor, yeah. dude, I, I appreciate man, you coming on talking to me. Um, 
and uh, getting a chance to know you a little bit, dude. I'm, I'm looking forward to to seeing what the uh, what next buck is going to, you know, unfortunately going to have to meet your maker, you and yeah. and, and get going for fall. So yeah, yeah, I hope it happens too. But hey, it's that's hunting, man. That that's is hunting. Just- it's the possibility is what's addicting. Oh, yeah. I love it, man. That, that just the, the optimistic, uh, being optimistic. And like we said earlier, the, the drive to be the best that we can be the process of it all, enjoy it. And that's the one thing, you know, you, I didn't get a chance to talk about it, but when you were saying earlier about just love being in the woods, man, even though I have to drive two and a half hours to go back home, to be on the club with my dad, or even just by myself up there, I just love going back home and getting up on that mountain. There's just for something. Yeah. It, it is a, a, a major stress relief for me. It is just, I don't know, man, it's home. Like I could literally just call that home and, and be okay with it. Yeah. I mean, your wife may not like yeah, it. But she, yeah. yeah. Well, who knows? Some night she might. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's um, right. Well, well, Taylor, where could people find you follow along with what you got going on and on any social media platforms that you would like to, uh, you know, mention? Yeah. Well, most of my hunting stuff is, is on Instagram. Um, uh, my, my handle is steel Parvo. That's S T E E L P A V R P A R V O. Um, that's a reference to trapping, uh, killing dogs. So, um, yeah, that's, that's where I, that's where you can find me. I appreciate it. Thanks again, everybody. We'll see you next week. Antler up.